This is Darrell Lalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 160. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur and you are listening to the before the millions podcast hey this is mark asquith the host of the seven minute mentor podcast global entrepreneur and all-round geek and you are listening to the before the millions podcast i am mc lobster the cash flow ninja and you're listening to before the millions podcast you're listening to the before the millions podcast whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye what is going on good people welcome back to another installment of the before the millions podcast guys i am so excited for this here episode we are talking about mobile home investing. And not until today, this episode, have I been educated on this particular field and how to get into mobile home investing and what it's all about and how to really, really look at the numbers. Today's guests, Jay and Samara, real estate investors and educators in the space of mobile home investing. They're going to teach us exactly five different strategies to make money with mobile homes. So this is a question I've probably received time and time again. Quite often when we're making cold calls or we're door knocking or we're sending out mailers, we're always getting these random land deals and mobile home deals and we never know what to do with them. Well, again, in today's episode, we're going to discuss five different strategies for making money through mobile homes. So stay tuned. So for the past, let's just say three or four years, I've been learning and getting better and tweaking and failing, failing forward at Facebook ads and Google ads for um, for all of my businesses, really. And even though I started with Google ads and over time became way more proficient with Facebook ads, I'm just now really grabbing a hold of Google ads and getting a good grasp of it to where I think I know how to scale a business um, solely by using Google ads. And it's actually pretty amazing. You know, it's been, again, four years through courses and webinars and mentors and workshops and my own personal experiences spending tens of thousands. Yes, tens of thousands on Google ads. Uh, I spent the same amount, uh, actually, probably four to five times as much on Facebook ads. But I think that's going to change soon because of the way my physical products business is set up and and how I plan on using Google ads to scale it to a seven figure company. Uh, I'll be documenting this soon, by the way. But here's what's interesting about spending all that money on ads. It's not it's not wasted efforts. It's not wasted money. Data that I collected four years ago for one of my businesses is still relevant today. It's still helping me make decisions today. And I've realized through this process of, again, just learning about these different ad strategies 
that it's really just the same process that we walk through in real estate. It's testing. It's gathering data. It's monitoring that data, tracking that data, looking at what works, what doesn't work, eliminating the things that doesn't work, the things that don't serve us, and putting more and more focus and efforts in the things that do serve us. And with ads, this is really just called optimization, where you may not be increasing your monthly budget, but your monthly budget is being spent more effectively on the things that are already working. And this can often grow your business two, three, five, 10, 20 X. And again, the parallels with real estate are interesting because it's just like, well, there's a ton of different strategies that you guys can pursue. We talk about all of them on the show. There's a ton of different ways you can pursue these strategies, whether you're attacking for sale by owners, you're attacking expireds, you're attacking pre-foreclosures, you're attacking vacants, you're attacking 100% equity, and then how you're attacking them, whether you're sending out mailers, you're doing ringless voicemail drops, you're putting out bandit signs, you're doing cold calls, and then what you're saying as you're attacking, right? The scripts that you're following, how you're following up, there's so many different variables, but you're testing all of them to see ultimately what works and what doesn't work for you. And to succeed in business, when you see what works, you focus more of your efforts on those things and you drop the things that don't work as quickly as possible. You don't focus on the things that don't work and try to fix those things. You drop those things because they're not serving you. So if you're cold calling vacants and not getting any deals done, but maybe you're having great luck sending out mailers to pre-foreclosures. Focus more of your efforts, your time, your money, your energy on those pre-foreclosures that you're able to convert. Because when you can take the marketing dollars that were going to the vacants and, and add those to the pre-foreclosure marketing dollars, so let's just say it was $500 a piece, and now you can put all of it towards the pre-foreclosure marketing dollars, and you were getting a 5x return on the $500 before, which was $2,500, now you're getting a 5x return on $1,000, which is $5,000. And if you put that 5,000 right back into the machine and get a 5X return on that, now you got 25. This is how you scale your business. Again, using just simple math, the 25 grand that you just made by starting out with $1,000, if you would have started with 500, that would have only yielded you $12,500. So while you can flip this 25 grand for 125, again, plugging it back into the machine and multiplying it by five. If you want to go get a, if you want to go get a loan today at 10% down, you can go qualify for a million dollar loan. Whereas again, with the original $500, you'd only be able to qualify for a sub $600,000 loan. And then there are certain phases where it, it becomes less about putting in a certain amount of money to make a certain amount of money, but more about fixing or improving on what's already working. So instead of turning 500 to 2,500, how can I turn 500 into five grand? Remember, how can I now turn 500 into 10 grand? And that's ultimately how you optimize and how you scale your business. And then you you take that and you break it down. Okay, well, I'm strictly focused on these pre-foreclosures. Maybe I segment by zip code and see what zip codes are converting the best. Or maybe or maybe I segment by script and see what scripts are converting the best, right? There's a lot of different ways to segment once you've chosen a path. You can get more granular and then again, take all of the dollars that weren't working in certain zip codes and put them all in the zip codes that are working to exponentially grow. A little bit off topic, I 
noticed this year that we haven't really been getting reviews for the podcast. Like, I think we have a total of three or four total reviews this year. And for the past three years, we've been getting 40, 50 reviews a year. And this is primarily probably because I haven't mentioned it a whole lot. I haven't talked about it a whole lot. I haven't, I haven't really vocalized its significance to our exposure. So if you don't know, iTunes and a lot of these podcast aggregators, they have certain algorithms that tell them shows that should be at the top of their lists, shows that should be discovered more, shows that people listen to and like and want to hear more of and shows that they think other people will probably like as well. They have these algorithms that do all that work automatically to rank podcasts. And a big factor in a lot of these algorithms are the reviews that people are leaving. Of course, a big factor in a lot of these algorithms are if people are making it all the way through your podcast. But again, another, it's just like a credit score. There are so many different factors. It's not just relied on one thing. So my ask of you, if you listen to this podcast and you love the content that we produce, head over to your iTunes directory or your podcasting directory, whatever app you're using, or if you're even listening to this via the Before the Millions website, I want you to head over and leave a review. Five stars are preferred so that we can tell iTunes, we can tell Pocket Cast, we can tell Stitcher, we can tell Spotify, we can tell Google Play that you guys love this podcast and that other people will love it as well. So in turn, these aggregators will get us more exposure. So I know I'm late to the game this year with three reviews, but I think that we can we can hit 50 again this year. But the challenge is that it's going to be in a six month time span. So that's my goal for the next six months. Let's see if we can get 50 reviews. And as a gift to you guys who haven't yet left reviews, I want to make sure that, you know, going back to the subject matter of testing and getting out there and finding motivated sellers that you can close deals with and continuing to put your focus on those exact people using a specific strategy, I want to offer you my freebie, my 45 not so common ways to find motivated sellers So this freebie is a PDF that's going to highlight to you ways that you really won't find on the Internet scouring that you can find motivated sellers. And again, why it's important to find a motivated seller is because you can get a bargain for your deal. You can help somebody out of a tough situation and profit from that. But again, the key is that they're motivated. Right. I wouldn't be a motivated seller for you. Because if I wanted to sell a property today, I just go to the market and want and wait and expect full price. But if I'm facing foreclosure, if I have an urgent matter, if there's a death in the family, this may mean that, hey, I'm willing to sell at a discount because I need to hurry up and get this done fast. And these motivations, guys, are the keys, are the keys to this real estate industry, are the keys to the game, are the keys to the art of negotiating, the art of getting a deal done. So I guarantee you, when you download this PDF, you're going to discover tons of interesting ways to find motivated sellers that your average investor is just not thinking of, lists that your average investors are just not pulling or just not cognizant about. You'll have access to those lists, strategies, and more. Once you leave us a review, take a screenshot of that review and send that screenshot to info at beforethemillions.com. That's I-N-F-O at beforethemillions.com. In efforts to get to 50 reviews by the end of the year, an additional 50, and I think that'll put us at 200, in efforts to get us to an additional 50 reviews by the end of the year, I want to give you guys a special freebie that is also in alignment with getting you to your goal. Testing is a big part of the game. 
And if you're not testing in your market, and if you're not testing different strategies, if you're not testing different activities, then how are you going to know what's converting, what's working well, what you should focus on, what you should double down on? So allow my freebie to help you get started with the testing phase. And if you're like, DeRay, I'm not at the testing phase, or I don't need a freebie at this time, or I'm not in real estate investing, I just, I'm just here for the inspiration, um, and you leave a review, uh, again, I thank you all the more. Thank you. I appreciate you. I know and hope that you'll continue to be inspired and your support has been absolutely pivotal to the growth and success of this platform. So again, two steps. Step one, leave us a review in your podcasting directory. Step two, take a screenshot of that review and send it to info at beforethemillions.com. And within 24 hours, you will be emailed my brand new freebie called 45 Not So Common Ways to Find Motivated Sellers. DeRay's Tip of the Week. Okay, so my tip of the week this week is actually a book recommendation called Super Forecasting, The Art and Science of Prediction. And before you start wondering why I'm reading such a book and you know this is totally in left field, um, I actually think that this book has been and will continue to be super beneficial um, in many areas of my life. I'm only in on chapter two, maybe chapter three. I can't remember. I think I may be on chapter three of this book so far, and it's been really good. And it's been really fascinating to learn the history of predictions and to learn the history so far of modern medicine and science and ultimately how psychologists and doctors and almost all professions known to man really didn't know what they're doing just a few short years ago. And, you know, just to imagine that what's common practice now, as early as the early 1900s, sounded like a concept so out of there, so crazy. So I'm speaking to the concept of testing, just regular testing, guys. Like in the 19, before the 1950s, like there wasn't a such thing as like variable and non-variable testing. So doctors would literally come up with potions and surgeries and, you know, things of that nature. And if they worked once or twice or a few times or or maybe the patients started getting better around the same time that they prescribed their medicine and they noticed that, the you know, the, again, the patient's getting better. So they they prescribe the medicine as the ultimate antidote for whatever sickness or disease that the person has. They believed that, hey, this was this was it moving forward and nobody could contradict what they said. They were the doctor. They were the person of authority. And in the 1950s was the rise of evidence based medicine. There was no longer the practice of creating your own medicine or, or procedures or surgeries and just passing it off as if it's golden. Again, this is just 70 years ago. And most doctors opposed it. They didn't want their expertise challenged. They felt as though they were already experts. We often suffer from this illusion of knowledge. He talks about how these same stories are going on right now in politics, right? The, this vicious debate over, you know, the effectiveness of, very, of all these different policies. And nobody has any real validity. Again, going back to modern medicine, he talks about a ship's doctor by the name of Lynn. And in 1747, Lynn had about 12 sailors who caught a disease and Again, there wasn't any 
formulaic way of getting over diseases without trial and error, without testing, like we talked about in the intro, right? So uh, he tried six different things to cure these guys. He he quarantined each of them and he was like, all right, you guys pair up by twos and I'm going to give you guys all, you know, six different things to try and we'll, we'll see what happens. So he gave the first pair seawater and then citrus and then vinegar and then cider to the fourth pair and then a sulfuric acid and then bark paste. And miraculously, the individuals, the pair he gave citrus to, they healed. And you would think after this moment, he had this eureka phase or this this aha, this light bulb go off like, hey, like I just figured out how to do randomized trials and I came up with a cure like he doubted his own results. So nobody else used that cure. There was barely anything else said about this particular instance until the 1920s. Until the 1920s, guys, that's when it was just up for debate. Whether, you know, just statistics and modeling and trials, whether it was something really super important and innovative and something that, you know, was going to change the entire world or maybe it was still just something trivial. And quickly after that, it started to pick up steam to where randomized trials, measurements and statistical analysis and forecasting became a major part of the game for Stock market investors, for doctors, for the entire sports world, for real estate investors, for launching a product or even just planning for your weekly meals. I believe that the authors are going to take this insanely complex art of forecasting and distill to us what's working, what the top one and two percent of experts are actually doing to have favorable outcomes in their predictions. And they draw on examples like the prediction of the iPhone, the raid on Osama bin Laden's compound, and the failure of the Bay of Pigs. A lot of well-known sports analysts and mathematicians recommend this book uh, far and wide. And um, in fact, the last person I heard recommend it was uh, one of my favorite uh, fantasy football podcasters. This book is called Super Forecasting, and it's by Dan Gardner and Philip Tetlock. And again, it's a book that far and wide, a lot of people have great things to say about it. I mean, the Harvard Business Review has a ton to say about the power of this book. And uh, some of my favorite podcasters, the Investors Podcast, talk about uh, how they use this book in forecasting the financial markets, stocks, bonds, and all things finance. So again, it's a book that I think that will just overall help you sharpen your decision skills. And uh, as I continue to dive more into it, I'll probably share more insights and more nuggets that I gather from it along the way. And now your feature presentation. We met out in Miami um, during our par- partying days and whatnot. And yeah. um, <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, you know, our first conversation, it was on the beach. We spoke for maybe three or four hours. And I think the thing that brought us together was that, you know, we were each uh, striving to become entrepreneurs, uh, even as kids. You want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, I think it was just the... Um the drive for more and just the, you know, coming from humble beginnings kind of, kind of related us, you know, having, you know, just, you know, issues with our, our parents and you just had a lot of things in, in connection, but um, we met in Miami. We uh, actually did long distance. I lived in New Mexico at the time in Albuquerque and uh, we ended up doing long distance for about a year and you know, the connection was there. We still had things to talk about, <laughs> even That's over awesome. the phone. So we ended up getting married and moved to Florida. And, you know, we 
we're always entrepreneurs at heart. We've always had that drive to just, you know, we, we, Jay was in the military when I met him, but, and I was kind of in the corporate world. I was becoming a CPA and we were just doing everything our parents told us to do, you know, following that strict line, like going to corporate America, going to build that corporate ladder um, until we got there. Yeah, <laughs> we just really felt unfulfilled. I remember being at work and seeing, you know, my boss come in. This is the position I'm working hard to to get. And just seeing him consistently coming in, he looked overworked. He wasn't happy with where he was at in life. He was always complaining about certain things going on with his family, not having enough money to get by and really just not being uh, satisfied, not living. And at that moment, you know, even though we had tried so many things up until this moment, like trying to become personal trainers, yep. trying to uh, start a photography business, uh, looking into starting a whole uh, fitness, fit body boot camp type of business. At that very moment, I said, you know what? I, I, enough's enough. I, I need to do something. Started praying on something. And luckily, she ended up finding, uh, getting an email, random. Was it an email or was it? It was uh, actually scrolling on Facebook. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I ran into a rich dad, poor dad, uh, rich dad, poor dad conference. And I was like, hey, you know, we've tried a lot of things. We've tried and failed. And, uh, you know, we just didn't know what that next move was. So let's let's try real estate. I think this might be something where we can both work together. And we went to that conference and we were super inspired. Like we were like, man, I didn't know people were doing this. I didn't know this was a way. Um, and so we decided to just jump into real estate. We're like, hey, I think we're both um, fired up from this. Um, and so we jumped in and scraped our knees a few times. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm glad she did that because um, uh, I would say about 30 to 60 days after this, I ended up getting released from my job. Like they actually terminated my position. So, you know, uh, if I didn't have this to fall back on, I think I would have just been going back in the rat race, looking for a whole nother opportunity. So uh, she found that we actually started with real estate. We took a few bumps, man. Um, our first deal, we ended up uh, investing about 30 grand into um, a home. We were working with a mentor. This guy was like a father figure to us. We had some really deep, intimate conversations along the way, and he ended up scamming us for that 30000 And then um, we got into another fix and flip property. This property was a burnout property. You can walk into the home, look up, and literally see the sky because it had no roof. <laughs> um, we took um, our last bit of savings and a lot of credit, about sixty grand, we put into this property. We thought we would make a return in three to four months. But how long did it take us to it get that return? It took us over 15 months to see our money back. And we made a small profit on that. But it took us a whole lot longer than we expected. And so we jumped in real fast. You know, we were like, hey, we're doing this. We're going to go all in. But within six months, we were pretty much out of cash at that point. And we were pretty down on ourselves. Like, hey, you know, we can sit here in this and, and not push forward. But we knew there was something calling us. We were still going to the real estate meetings. We were still connecting with really cool people. And we're like, man, something's calling us to continue to push forward. And then um, Jay actually got invited to a, another real estate seminar where he actually met one of our first mentors in mobile home investing. Yeah, he was about 85 years old. This guy was bringing in somewhere between twenty dollars to $30,000 a month. The great thing about it was, you know, he wasn't using any of his own money. If he was using his own own money, he was only using somewhere between five to six thousand dollars on these deals. And he was working with homes. It just wasn't 
typical, you know, residential properties. These were mobile homes. So he gave me all this information. I'm so excited because at that point, you know, I'm just getting out of the pit and feeling down on myself. We're, we're, you know, we're cash strapped. So I run home. I tell Samara, like, hey, mobile homes is where it's at. Her first response to me was, hell no. You know what I'm saying? When she thinks about uh-uh. mobile homes, she's thinking about trailer trash, you know, eight mile, all the stigma that comes with it. Yeah. But when we immersed ourselves into just learning, just learning what this was all about, we actually ended up uh, hiring another mentor. And then up to this date now, we've been able to close over 400 transactions. And what's better about it is we've been able to impact thousands of students just by the knowledge we have and sharing it with them. Wow. Um, Jan Samira, this is this is actually absolutely beautiful. I have a page full of notes. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> um, you know, I could just imagine when you guys are first meeting on on uh, the beach in Miami and you probably have, have friends that are co- like three, four hour conversation on the beach. Like, come on, like we got places to go. Like, I, I mean, what are y'all doing? We got to go. <laughs> Definitely insane. taking them for the team, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. Um, but but ultimately, you guys got together, you got married and you guys are now in Irving, California. You guys are mobile home investing like phenomenons and the, the number of deals that you guys have done and the amount of success that you guys have helped other students achieve. It's absolutely amazing. But again, going back to your origin story, I just want to kind of sit on this for a little bit because I think it's important to think that you guys started a photography business. You guys got into fitness a whole lot, started multiple fitness businesses. You guys got into fixing and flipping. Would you say from like, when you just think about it viscerally from, for, as business owners today, right? Knowing what you know about business, would you say that those businesses were failures um, and mobile home park investing was the solution? Or would you say that it was just a culmination of your experiences that led you to mobile home park investing, but all those businesses could have worked? Yeah, I think that it's definitely a culmination of those experiences that led us to real estate because I think we learned something from each and every one of those businesses that we took into the next one. And we actually became stronger as a couple. We became stronger as business partners um, just from get, you know falling down, learning you know some things like in the photography business. It just, you know, we didn't each have our own roles. We needed to figure out what were our strengths and what were our weaknesses and how can we really, you know, uh, work with each other as a team to become better. So I think all of that led us to real estate and led us to mobile home investing because without those experiences, we probably wouldn't have even seen the gold in real estate and, you know, the business that we have. Yeah, it got us to a point where, you know, we're not afraid of taking imperfect action. I think all those experiences, the gym, we uh, did network marketing. I was uh, trying to sell the crazy rap thing with It Works and, you know, the real estate. The what? The what? The what? Crazy rap thing, man. Crazy. I'm not ashamed crazy to say it. I'm not, ashamed, I'm not ashamed to say it. The crazy rap thing. I was out there in Target just trying to get mines. But uh, um, I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> the imperfect action, man, it, it, allowed us, it allowed us to build up confidence in the sense of, hey, you know, we might not have this thing all the way figured out, but I'm not afraid to fail until I get to that solution. And I think, you know, we ultimately ended up failing our way into mobile home investing. Yeah, I love that. And, um, you know, it's crazy. I have a very similar path. I, I, I don't know. I had a conversation with a guy the other day. I'm trying to remember if it was on. I was interviewed on on my friend uh, Billy Keel's podcast and um we're kind of just talking about the difference between people who take action and people who don't take action. And oftentimes us as uh, coaches and, and, and 
and leaders in the space, we were, were constantly trying to find that, 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 that trigger point to help people like, Oh, just, just, you know, just go after it and, and you'll be fine. Trust me. Um, but for me, it wasn't, I didn't need that. Like I, I was so, I was so desperate. I was so hungry. I was so frustrated. Um, just, just like, just like uh, Samara, I was trying to be a CPA. I was working at a big four accounting firm and I thought it was, I thought it was the dream job. Like before I got there, I thought, I thought I had it made like, you know, like Samara, you know, like how hard is it to get into one of those firms and you oh, finally man. get there. Yeah. You're breaking <laughs> your like, back just to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? And then I get there and I realize that all of my privileges have been taken away from me. I realize that half of my money is going to the government. I realize that I'm working for a firm. I'm adding six plus four to equal 10, but I don't really see any value in what I'm doing. I'm not connected with the clients that we have. I don't see how Coca-Cola is going to use the, the balance sheet to go buy another company. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't see any, I, I'm just frustrated. Mm-hmm. And this woman, she hands me this, this little purple book similar to you guys and it changed my entire world, my entire world. But again, I did what you guys did. I failed forward. I started six to eight businesses that year. So I had a photography business. <laughs> <laughs> I started a drop shipping business. I started a, a, a eBay business. I started a, um, I started a lead gen business. I started a Kindle publishing business. I started investing in real estate. That's seven right there. I'm missing one. I started eight businesses in one year. I was desperate. I was like, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have this mindset something is going to work <laughs> eventually. I just have to, I just, I mean, I just got to like, for, but it, it was, it was to my detriment because my mindset was keep building businesses, keep opening shop, keep spending money on marketing. And eventually when I start seeing signs that one of these businesses is going to take off, I'll drop everything else. And I put my focus there. Mm-hmm. It happened in reverse. I had to drop everything else and then put my focus on that one business. And that's when it took off. Yep. That's exactly it, man. It's like you have to uh, start testing. Even when they talk about marketing, for example, it's test, 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 test until you find that right formula. And I think the thing that we all have in common is all of those different businesses were just tests where they were tests for the skills we had to learn. And then there were things that we had to learn internally to just get you to that main thing. And once you found out, you know, what was working, they all say, keep the main thing, the main thing. And uh, great, gratefully, we've been able to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like that, that rocket fuel example where you have to put so much effort just to get something off the ground. If you're, it's only one of you, there's only so many hours in the day. If mm. you're spread so thin, you're really not doing a lot. You're, you're doing a lot of action, but you're not making a lot of progress. And so uh, we have definitely been there. Um, we knew in the corporate world, we're like, man, there's got to be more. I remember going to my desk every morning, literally telling myself that there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more to life than this. <laughs> it's just like, you know, sitting in those cubes, just feeling unfulfilled. It's a slow death. It really is. So I remember going outside, you know, on lunch, literally sitting there. I remember one day just sitting there with like tears rolling down my eyes just because I, I felt like, mama. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know what I'm saying? Just uh, a feeling like a, a failure in a sense. It's like, man, I did all this. I, I went to school, you know, I tried my best to stay out of trouble. I um, got the job. I, I drank the Kool-Aid and it led to me being unhappy and unfulfilled. And I thought that I was stuck. And I think that's where the, the tears came from. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I, I definitely can resonate with that. I know a lot of listeners can as well. Um, do you, but do you think that 
this life is for everybody? Do you think entrepreneurship is for everybody? I'm curious. I know a lot of people have varying takes on that. So I'm curious as to what you guys think and if you guys have varying takes on it. Yeah, my take uh, my take on it is entrepreneurship, in my opinion, it is not for everyone. We know about all the trials and tribulations that you have to go through, all the testing you're going to go through, uh, the storms that are coming your way. Everybody's not meant to go through that. And on top of that, we as entrepreneurs know that it's not just us. It's not the entrepreneur that makes the business. It's the individuals that help, the individuals that help uh, add fuel to our fire. I think there's entrepreneurs, but then I also think there are servants and the, those individuals can become servant leaders in their own way, even though it's not their, you know, their dream. You know, they become part of that mission and shepherds to help you get to your ultimate goal. Yeah, yeah. I would kind of piggyback on that. I don't think the lifestyle of entrepreneurship is for everyone, but I do believe that everyone has a purpose and everyone can feel fulfilled, even if it's not their own business, you know, supporting a cause, supporting something that you're passionate about will still create that fulfillment and you can still make great money. You just maybe not the entrepreneur in the business, but you're still supporting something that you're passionate about. So um, I don't think entrepreneurship has to be for everyone. I think there's got to be people have to have seats and roles within a business. Um, but, you know, as long as you're feeling fulfilled and you're doing something you're passionate about, I mean, entrepreneurship isn't all what it's cracked to be every day, man. Like there's a lot that goes into it. I think it's just kind of a, a trendy word right now. 100%. 100%. So guys, before we get into this this niche that I know very little about, I don't know, like sometimes, you know, people call it mobile home parks, mobile home invest. I mean, I've heard so many different terms for swimming different things, and I can't wait till we get complete clarity around you guys' niche and how to get started. Um, but first, I want to ask you guys, when, when you think about just your success overall and what has helped you get to where you are today, when you think about maybe one of the most worthwhile investments that you've made in yourself, and this can be an investment of money, this can be an investment of time, this can be an investment of energy, um, and I'll start with you, uh, Jay, when you think about one of the most worthwhile investments that you've made in yourself uh, in terms of money, time or energy, what, what can you pinpoint some of that stuff to uh, in, the, in the most recent years? Man, it's a combination of things. First and foremost, uh, I think the investment into faith, um, because there were so many times where I felt crushed. I felt like, you know, I wasn't going to make it. I felt like I just wasn't going to figure this thing out. And um, at the time, I just wasn't investing any type of time, energy, money into building up the faith, the, the connection uh, that I have with myself and the connection I have with my higher power. And then after that, it would be honestly the time and money investing into other mentors that have the results that I, that I actually want. I'm not just talking about the amount of money that they're bringing in each and every month. I'm talking about core values that they stand for, how they're treating their body, how they're treating, you know, their connection with their self, their higher power, how they're treating their relationships and their spouses and their queens and their kids. And then ultimately building that kingdom, that long lasting legacy to live, to, to leave for their family. So I think by taking that time and taking that money to invest into them, I was able to get more skill sets, more knowledge, more so a blueprint that's needed to help me level up into where I am. So I do think it's, a, it's just a combination of those things. I love that. Samira, before we get to you, Jake, 
when you think about, and I, again, I don't know how many individuals can go through this process, but I, again, I've been through a similar process as you guys hiring mentors. And you said your first mentor, you spent $30,000. I spent one third of that for my first mentor. You spent $30,000 on your first mentor, your very first one. You didn't even start from like, oh, 2K and then 10K. And like, you just went all in. And I could imagine the gut check that you guys had when it didn't work out. How do, how do you possibly get back on that horse? Like, I don't understand. Um, I first had to, you know, get rid of my ego when it happened, just being the man and being the ultimate decision maker. You know, I was so down on myself and it was so easy to point the finger and still I started to point the finger at myself and giving myself some grace like, hey, it's OK. You know, this is just one person, just like they say out there with everything going on right now. Man, there's so many uh, dirty cops out there. No, there's just an actual small percentage of dirty cops that we're getting to highlight. I actually know personally a lot of really good cops. Um, it's 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 just like that with mentorship. We ran into that one bad apple, but I know in order to get to where I want to be, I can't allow that to paralyze me because that was a learning lesson in itself. And I cannot, I will not be afraid to invest my time, my money, my energy, my faith into other individuals that actually have the character that I'm looking for and recognizing that going through that process, I was able, I'm able to now understand what good character looks like. I just wasn't able to recognize the red flags before because I was all about taking massive action. And now I'm doing the character check before I invest any of my time, any of my money, any of my energy into anyone. Powerful. That's so powerful, man. I, I love that a lot. Samara, one yeah. of your most worthwhile investments that you've made in yourself, whether this is an investment of money, time, or energy. Man, there's so many. It's, it's, it's hard to just pick one, but um, I would say, you know, along the journey, investing in the right relationships that help push me to that next level. I think relationships are everything and your environment is a lot about who is who are you around? What are the conversations that you're having? Who's there to kind of help push you to that next level? Who's who are you there to lift up and who's there to lift you up? And I think, you know, uh, investing in those people around me, getting into those mastermind groups, getting into those groups where, you know, um, people are all on the same journey. We can learn together. We can grow together. I think that's been one of the biggest investments for me is just being around people that can um, just we can learn from and we can grow from and and just get to that next level. I love it. I love it. I love it. So again, guys, I think it's time for some strategy. I'm super excited for this portion of our show because I don't know if I'm talking about mobile homes, mobile home parks, trailer homes, trailer home parks. What does all this stuff mean? How do I get into it? And what are the benefits of your niche? Please, please, guys, take it away for us. So we'll first uh, start off with um, the benefits to um, the individuals that we're serving. Um, there's a crisis. Wait wait, 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 wait. Can I take it back? I'm sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just because I want, I want to, I want to have that 30,000 foot view. You guys okay. are mobile home <laughs> investors. Okay. Right. Correct. Yeah. What is that? What is that? Is that the, the big, is that the big, uh, <laughs> you know, 28 footer? Like what, what are mobile homes? And then how do I distinguish like your exact niche? I'm sorry if I'm sounding ignorant. 
no, 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 no. That's good. That's yeah. good. Because I mean, we assume people know what mobile homes are, but you know, you won't notice them until you notice them, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. man, they're really commonly known as manufactured homes nowadays. And they're basically factory built homes that are shipped to a location and they kind of put them to put them on that location and put them on a foundation. So you can find these homes in parks where they have like maybe anywhere between 10 to hundreds of lots where they park these mobile homes and people live there and they pay rent for the land and they live in the home. So they usually own the home or these homes can be on their own private land. And, um, you know, they own the the land and the home. So we focus on mobile home parks. So we don't um, focus on owning the entire park, but more so flipping the homes inside of those because the people that live in those parks own the homes. Um, and they are responsible to buy and sell them on their own. And those individuals that live in these homes from time to time, they become motivated sellers, whether they you know, lost their job, they just can't afford lot rent anymore. Um, someone um, has all of a sudden passed away. Maybe they got a job that's in a whole nother state. For some reason, they really need to sell this home. So what they do is they reach out to individuals like, like us to come in, marry one of our five strategies with what they need. We come in. We help a buyer find an affordable home and now everybody walks away with the win. So that was kind of like a, a bird's eye view of everything. Do most, do most people that live in mobile homes, uh, do they, are they owners? Many of the people that we work with, they are owners of the home. These are usually, you know, blue collar, you know, hardworking individuals. Um, some of them, you know, they are actually choosing to live a more affordable lifestyle and they go to, you know, purchase a mobile home versus a single family home. Some of the individuals, they can't necessarily afford a single family home just yet, or they're taking that time to build up their credit score so that they can go and get qualified for a single family home. But the majority of uh, clients that we work with, they do own a home. Got it. And you guys, do you guys also um, create cash flow with your deals? You guys, yeah. you got... And before you guys get to that, do you guys have a general rental model to where you own mobile homes and you rent them out to tenants? Yeah. So we do cash flow these properties. We do not rent them. We don't like being landlords. That's not something that we um, teach our students or, or want to be a part of. We actually sell or finance them. So we act as the bank and we just collect our payment each and every month. And they're responsible for the maintenance and upkeep of the property. I love that. That's a, that's in my strategy as well. I absolutely love that. That's beautiful. I'm glad you guys are doing it in the mobile home uh, in the mobile home arena. So let's talk about your your five strategies to take down uh, to take down deals because I think that's where the listeners are really going to get a lot of value. And um, I don't know who wants to start it off, but let's get into the five strategies. I know there's not going to be a whole lot we can cover against the podcast episode, and we're going to have resources for the listeners to check out at the end of the episode. But let's see how much we can get in here and how much value we can get. What what are your five strategies for taking down mobile homes? So first and foremost, we'll go with the uh, quick cash strategies. Um, We teach our students like, hey, you're building a business. So let's focus on generating as much cash first in our business so that when we get to the fix and flipping, we get to the buying holding, we're having our business pay for that versus coming out of our own pocket. So um, the first strategy that we like to focus on is wholesaling and brokering. Um, so we'll run into clients from time to time that, you know, they have a home, let's just say they want $10,000 for this property. Um, this individual uh, doesn't know how to sell their home. And we know that their home is worth $20,000. So we can go and find a buyer for this home. Uh, we might sell that property for $15,000. 
the buyer is happy because they can buy the home for you know five thousand below market value. The seller is happy. We walk away with our five thousand dollars. You want to get into uh, brokering a little bit? Yeah, brokering is is mainly this is one of the the bread and butter strategies that a lot of people pass up because um, in mobile home parks, uh, most of the time you don't have to be a realtor or anything like that to actually broker these properties. So it's really just, you know, a lot of the homes that we come across, they're asking for closer to retail price, but they deserve retail price. They've kept their home up. It looks good. They deserve the most that they can get for the property. And maybe they're not in a huge rust. They're not as motivated as maybe somebody that, you know, in the example Jay was having, you know, they're willing to take a steep discount because they need to sell quickly, right? So with brokering, we're just able to kind of build up our inventory as investors, list these homes for them, and put a commission on top of that and sell it. So, um, you know, that's something that we teach our students, hey, this is that steady income that you want to you have in between those big deals when you're, you're fixing, flipping, and wholesaling it. You can, you know, get these constant commissions and you can also build up your inventory. So buyers are constantly coming to you for more and more properties and you're just positioning yourself as that expert in the field. And then you're talking about fix and flipping. We might come across a home where we're able to purchase this mobile home for $5,000. Their repair work. The great thing about mobile homes, when we talk about re repairs, this isn't HGTV. So we're only making sure the big five major repair items are good to go, working efficiently. So we're talking AC, subflooring, electrical, plumbing, and the roofing. We're just making sure those items are adequate. And then our buyers are buying on a discount. They're going in, making the house their own, fixing all the cosmetic items. So um, we're going to buy this home for $5,000. let us just say it needs $5,000 worth of work. We're all in for 10000 You might end up paying some lot rent in between there. Sometimes you're able to get some free lot rent in between there. But let's just say we're all in for 10000 Now that the home is fixed up a little bit, we can now sell this home for uh, $15,000 or even $20,000 cash. What we like to do is if we know that that home is fixed up and it can go for 30000 Whenever we're selling it for cash, we like to go slightly below market value. So if it's a $30,000 opportunity, um, we'll actually sell our home for somewhere between twenty to 25000 just to get it sold quick whenever we're looking for cash. But if we're looking for cash flow, what will we do? Yeah, and with cash flow deals, you're able to, to uh, collect, you know, since you are going to be um, creating a loan with this person and collecting payments over time, you're able to charge anywhere from twenty to 50000 percent more for the property um, just because you're able to uh, take those payments a little bit at a time. Um, and so the great thing about mobile home investing and, and all of these strategies is that most mobile homes, they, you, you, um, in most states, you transfer ownership with a title like you would a car um, at the DMV. So the process is really fast. Like we've transferred titles in literally minutes versus going through title escrow inspections, all of that, which you would do with a single family home. This is literally, I'm going to sign the back of the title and hand it to you and you give me the cash and we're, we're done here. And so it's just the speed of this is so much faster. You're able to get through fix and flips in under 30 days. And that's from getting the property, fixing the property and selling the property so much faster than you are in a and most of the time residential. On, 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 um, seller finance deals, when that buyer comes in with that deposit, we're usually making our money back in less than six months. And we're able to usually cash flow somewhere between 200 to $500 per month on this home, anywhere for four to 10 years. And we're still able to uh, charge interest on this home as well, somewhere between 7% all the way up to about 11%. We've seen investors charge more, but our cutoff yeah. is usually about 11%.
Yeah. And, and lastly, you know, one of the beautiful things about manufactured homes is that you can move them. They're not location specific. So there's a lot of strategies where um, you can either move the homes to parks or move them to land, or you can sell them to someone that um, needs them for their land or needs them for their parks. So building those allies um, is great because you can even move them across state lines. So there's just opens up so many opportunities. Yeah, our favorite deals are the ones where you have a manufactured home on land and the owner of that land is like, hey, I need this manufactured home moved. I'm about to build another uh, property here or I'm about to bring a brand new manufactured home in. A lot of the time, these homes are in great condition and they don't want anything for it. They don't know how to sell it and actually move it. So we could come in, bring our expertise, bring our team, actually get that home sold and have a, basically a free home and pocket somewhere between ten to $20,000 in less than a week on, on one property. All right. Wow. Wow. Man, I got to get you guys back on. We're running out of time. This is all good stuff. <laughs> I know we jumped a lot on you. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. Um, and I don't know if I caught everything, but the five strategies are wholesaling, brokering, fix and flips. And then I got cash flow. And I know you guys go about cash flow with uh, with owner financing, but I don't know if I caught the other. There was another cash flow method, right? Um, and then just moving homes is another way that we, we make money and teach our students how to make homes. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was the fifth one. I just didn't know how to categorize that. Moving homes. <laughs> That's dope. That's dope. Wow. This is, this is fascinating. And this is just, this is just like the first, like the first level of the onion. Mm-hmm. We have so much more to cover. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite before the millions book? Ooh. Yeah, there's so many. Um, I would say um, the four hour work week is one of my favorite. Yeah. And just (laughs) learning that you don't have to keep chasing more and that really getting more clarity on, you know, creating the lifestyle that you want. It doesn't have to cost millions. I think at the beginning I was like, man, I want to be a millionaire. And I was chasing these big, big numbers. But after I read that book and really learned like, hey, I can kind of build the life that I want. It doesn't have to cost that much. And I, the freedom and the time is what you're chasing. Um, and so that book was amazing. And then for me, it would be High Performance Habits by Brendan Bouchard. Man, it's um, so easy to get caught up into the everyday overwhelm of simply being an entrepreneur. So what Brendan teaches is really zoning into the habits that um, help high performers be high performers and um, do it in a more sustainable way and not just a way of checking things off um, like a task list. So uh, that one has had the most impact on my journey so far. That's dope. I uh, pass that book up every day and I think I'm going to add it to my book list now. So that's awesome. Um, What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Hmm. I would have to say um, when it pertains to our mobile home investing business outside of our coaching business, I would have to say our um, active campaign CRM app, man, it helps us stay so organized with our team, so organized with our inventory. When you're on your way to appointments, being able to just look at the, the, the potential deal right then and there, it's very easy. I can upload my notes all by using my phone and not having to wait until I get back home to my laptop or anything like that. So I think that one has been the best, more so for efficiency for us. Yeah, I, I would pick you back on that. But I mean, all of the Google apps, the Google Docs and the Google Sheets and Google the Google Calendar. Google Calendar. <laughs> I mean, I think we're in those nonstop all day 
easy to collaborate. They're free. I mean, you can't beat those. There's so many options they, just to keep organized with Google. Love it. Active campaign and the entire Google suite. Yeah. Google suite. <laughs> there we go. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? I think it's the um, ownership of our time and being able to say, hey, this is what I'm feeling today. And really being able to, you know, be intentional with your day, but create the day that you want to live and be conscious about how I want to live and how I want to feel today versus waking up and feeling like I have to do something. Because at this point, it's like I'm not doing anything I don't want to do. I'm able to kind of create the life that I want and the days that I want um, just by setting those intentional um, activities. You said it perfect. I would be uh, <laughs> just repeating the same thing, man. It's that ownership of time to, you know, be able to say, hey, I, this is how I'm going to work. If, if this business is just um, generating just more results and more money and we're doing things just for more money, we don't have to do that. We can live life by design based on what we want, based on how we want to feel, based how we want the people around us to feel versus just the money and the results just for results sake. We're more so living life based on our internal results that create those external results. So, yeah, there we go. She had a whole lot more to say. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> what, do, what, what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Honestly, man, um, it was, man, sacrificing uh, a, a, a sense of feeling like you are uh, included in everything. So there were a bunch of events with friends we had to miss. There were a bunch of events with families, family trips, vacations that we missed. Um, and even, um, you know, vacations amongst ourselves. When we were first starting out, we took so much time, effort, and energy, really just pushing that big boulder up the hill and keeping our eye on the prize. And now we're uh, able to do those things, but we had to sacrifice a whole lot of time in order to just get that boulder up there and get us to where we are now. Yeah, and I would say uh, sacrificing comfort was the, one of the biggest sacrifices because you know that you know your biggest potential your growth lies outside of your comfort zone. And so doing things that scare you, risking, uh, more than you're comfortable with kind of, you know, like Jay said, saying no, that's outside of your comfort zone a lot, you know, saying no is something that you're going to have to do a lot to protect your time. Um, so just, you know, sacrificing that comfort and, and standing on what you believe in. Yep. Absolutely. Love it. Last but not least guys, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? I think um, people are stuck because, you know, um, and I talk to my friends, uh, some of my friends that are in this situation, they are stuck. And I think a lot of individuals are stuck because they don't have clarity on who they need to be, you know, how they want to feel, what skill sets they need and what people they need to be interacting with to simply get to the next step. I think a lot of us get so caught up in trying to fix the here and now. Um, and believing that, man, once I fix this, once I figure this thing out, whatever it is, I'm going to feel happy. And a lot of people don't take time to simply dream because they're so caught up in what's going on wrong in that current moment into just dreaming, just thinking a lot bigger and figuring out, you know, hey, 
where do I need to pivot? Where do I need to shift? And it's okay giving myself permission to make this shift into who I need to become into finding that, that, that extra piece, that sense of happiness and, and clarity, just by taking that time to figure out who you need to become. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it's definitely lack of clarity and, and lack of, I think that clarity puts you in that analysis. The lack of clarity puts you in analysis paralysis and then you don't take action because now you don't know what's the next step. And I think a lot of people are afraid to get started and afraid to get out of that comfort zone. And sometimes they're afraid to fall. And just knowing that feeling okay to fall, feeling okay to make mistakes is huge. Like you're going to fail. Just it's part of learning. And, and, so, and you're not going to have all the answers. A lot of us are seeking for certainty in everything that we do. And that just comes from being an entrepreneur. You want to control everything. Some of the things you're just not going to have control over. You got to embrace that. And it's about going back to what we said before. You're going to have to test your way out of this. You're going to have to go and test and try new skill sets, not being afraid to try and form new habits. But unless you're, you know, you're getting out of that comfort zone every single day and just forcing yourself to become the person you wish to be to be, you're going to be stuck there. It's going to cause frustration, overwhelming, and uh, ultimately uh, paralysis analysis. Yeah, 100%. Analysis paralysis. You got it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> um, man, that felt like a, a perfect COVID-19 speech, and I, I really resonate with that. Um, I appreciate you guys for coming on the show. It's been absolutely inspirational, amazing. Uh, if the listeners want to lo- learn a little bit more about you guys, want to connect with you, say hi, maybe even ask you a question or two, where can they find some of your information? Yeah, so the best place to get in touch with us is on YouTube. So youtube.com slash Trailer Cash Academy and cash is with a C. Um, And uh, we've got a ton of free trainings on there. If you're interested in learning more about mobile home investing um, or just what is this, you know, how to even get started. We've got a ton of free content on there. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show, talking about mobile home investing. It's been absolutely amazing. I'll see you guys very, very soon. And thank Thank you. you for having us.